Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following interview contains some colorful language, very familiar to people working in marketing and sales, but probably not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Hey folks, this is Keenan, author of Gap Selling, Getting the Customer to Yes, How Problem-Centric Selling Increases Sales by Changing Everything You Know About Relationships, Overcoming Objections, Closing, and Price. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas in order to succeed in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you are a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. This show is produced by my marketing firm. We work with manufacturers to help them grow. If you're a manufacturer and are serious about growing your business, check out our guide to lead generation for manufacturers on our website, salesartillery.com or Google lead generation for manufacturers and you'll find the guide at the top of the organic results. And special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist is a really cool app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners where you can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast or just click on the link at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Keenan to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his newest book, Gap Selling, Getting the Customer to Say Yes, How Problem-Centric Selling Increases Sales by Changing Everything You Know About Relationships, Overcoming Objections, Closing, and Price. Keenan is a sales guy, Incorporated's CEO, President, and Chief Antagonist. He's been selling something to someone for his entire life. He's been teaching and coaching almost as long. With over 20 years of sales experience, Keenan has been influencing, learning from, and shaping the world of sales for a long time. Finder of the elephant in the room, Keenan calls it as he sees it and lets nothing or no one go unnoticed. And his passion for problem solving reaches well beyond the sales and business world. He's also the author of Not Taught, what it takes to be successful in the 21st century that nobody's teaching you. And, interesting fact, 
Kanan is a professional ski instructors of America certified level two ski instructor. And according to Jamie Shanks, the author of Social Selling Mastery and Spear Selling and two-time guest on the Marketing Book Podcast, Kenan is the second best downhill mogul skier in North America. Kenan, congratulations on gap selling and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, baby. Thank you very much. And Jamie is so full of shit, he, he doesn't know what to do with him. Poor self. That's funny. He's good. It was <laughs> very bad. He's just mad because we did a, uh, we raced, we did a mogul race and I kicked his butt every time. Well, I don't know. I, I got the impression from talking to him that like, he was the best in North America and you were a close second. And he, it was real important that I understood that when I interviewed him recently. So Yes, yes. And, and, he, and I'm sure he didn't show you the – that is exactly right in his own mind because I'm sure he didn't show you the, um, the video of me just blowing past him. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, uh, there's all kinds of other interesting facts about you. And uh, Keenan – I'm not here to blow smoke up your butt, and, and you wouldn't allow me to do that anyway. But this is an audio-only podcast, and I just want to say you are not an unattractive man. In fact, <laughs> you also, uh, our listeners, our guest, he once modeled for Tommy Hilfiger. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying, I just, I just want you to be comfortable with that, okay? Well, thank you very much, man. Thank you. I feel great right now. Good, good. So, uh, for the listeners... Uh, there's always a first-time listener on the, on, on the show, and they may say, wait a minute, marketing book podcast, why is there a sales book on the podcast? I have lots of sales books on the podcast. I have a, a weakness for single malt scotch and sales books, even though I'm a marketing guy, but also now, even more than three years ago, the most successful marketers have a deep understanding of sales, and when I read sales books, I get so many great content ideas. And Keenan, I just want to say, this is a great Book, and I read a lot of great, great sales books. So congratulations on this. It's dog-eared. It's already marked up, and there's a lot of stuff in here we're stealing to, <laughs> to use with clients, with full attribution, you, of sir. course. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I just want to read one excerpt, and we'll go from there. I wrote Gap Selling to clarify the rules of selling and show salespeople and sales organizations how to sell more by teaching them how to better help their customers. See, at the heart of every sale, there's a gap. It's a gap between what buyers have now and what they believe they want in the future, between who they are now and who they want to be tomorrow, or even where they are now and where they want to go. This gap represents the value of the sale to the buyer and the salesperson. Without it, there is no sale. So, Keenan, you go on to write that, amongst many other things, too many people suck at selling. Why is that? They're product centric. <clears throat> so they suck at selling because they believe that selling is about pitching a product. And, and it's been ingrained in us for the last, you know, 55, 60 years. You know, you, you see movies like um, uh, Wolf of Wall Street says, sell me this pen. And, you know, I remember when I was uh, when I was first getting in sales back in the 80s or early 90s, mid 90s, I guess, you know, I'd have be not uncommon for some sales leader or, or hiring manager to you know, if I'm in a restaurant, it's like, hey, here's a packet of sugar. Sell me this packet of sugar. And as time went on, I hated those questions because I I'm not, can't say this packet of sugar. You don't need it. Like, you know, like I, I'm not going to say it. I'll ask you questions. Like, why do you need sugar? What do you do for diet? Like, it, it was all about understanding a problem or need rather than talking about all the stupid features and benefits. And salespeople still do that. And so <clears throat> they're missing the entire understanding of how we decide and how we choose to make decisions. And we're not selling to that. We're, we're, we're almost sort of like forcing things into a 
forcing a square peg into a round hole and it just doesn't work. And you say that almost all the issues and challenges within sales are, are self-induced. Is that a is that a big part of it or are there other things? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, for example, one of the things people talk about all the time, everybody's all upset about is, you know, price. I can't win on price. I'm losing on price. You know, well, the problem is you're losing on price. If you're a product-centric salesperson, the majority of your sales effort is focused on your product, right? Even if you know a little bit about the customer, you're still selling the product. So when the customer says, hey, this product's too expensive or you're too expensive, you're stuck. You're like, well, what, what do you mean we're too expensive? We have this great feature here and we have this great feature there. And they're like, still too expensive. I'm not going to pay. And so you don't know how to overcome the objection. Well, had you been a problem-centric seller and had you focused on the problem they're dealing with, had you focused on the impact that problem was having on the organization and you could quantify that impact and you could quantify the problem, when they say it's too expensive, you could say something like this, wait, I'm confused. You're losing $200,000 a month and you've lost two of your best clients to your competition and your stock price has fallen, I'm making this shit up, by 30% in the last 18 months. What do you mean our price is too expensive? We only cost $5,000 a month. Yes, yes. And we're going to get into some more about uh, exactly how to do that. But uh, one of the things you mentioned, though, at the beginning of the book is you said the Another problem salespeople have is they're too reliant on selling tools. How so? I mean, this look, man, there's tons of them out there now, right? I mean, thousands. LinkedIn, LinkedIn is a selling tool. Outreach is a selling tool. A sales loft is a selling tool. Um, they got uh, uh, Vidyard's a selling tool. BombBomb's a selling tool. Uh, Zoom Info's a selling tool. Discover. I mean, they got all of these tools at their disposal. And they start thinking, all right, well, if I send videos and I use LinkedIn and I and I, um, uh, what was the other one? I, and, I, and I use Zoom Info to get the person's contact information. The sale's going to happen. No, no, no. No, no, no. Look, <clears throat> outreach just allows you to be more efficient. Vidyard allows you to stand out. Um, <clears throat> LinkedIn allows you to connect with people. But at the end of the day, none of that's selling. You still have to have a message. You still have to uncover their, their problems. You still have to understand the impact of what they're trying to achieve. Like, <clears throat> excuse me. None of that sells. All that is just process tools to help get you to the people you want to get to faster so you can finally have something to talk uh, to be able to talk to them. But if you have nothing to talk about or you, you product-centric sell and you pitch your product after you do all of that, you know better off than you were if you hadn't done that. Yeah, there's this funny reliance or over-reliance on, on technology and tools that folks want to use. And I saw a great quote the other day that said, uh, don't buy a tool unless it's wrapped in a process first. Yeah, I can. Well, yeah, I can. I can dig that. <laughs> In other words, sometimes they'll say, "Well, let's get a CRM." Well, okay, that's good. But how, what's your sales process like already? Well, you know, <laughs> they don't even yeah. have one. So, um, yeah. yep. so in the book, you've you start out, uh, you know, both guns blazing as as anyone would expect you to with truth bombs of selling, and the first one had to do with what you already mentioned: problems, and it is four words. No problem, no sale. Explain and why Why are people still trying to go if, they, if they, they can't get a problem? I don't know. I mean, because they don't know how to sell. They're too busy focused on their product. Look, ask any, anybody what they purchased and why they purchased it. <clears throat> and I can tell you it'll lead back to a problem, right? So if someone stops at a grocery store and or a corner store and they run in and buy a pack of gum. Why'd you buy the pack of gum? 
right? My mouth was dry. I got a meeting in them. I feel like I have bad breath. I just ate food and I didn't like the aftertaste. All of those are problems. I wanted right? to feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but ah, not so fast. Nah, 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 I want to feel better. What does that mean? Yes. What feeling are you talking about? See, that's what salespeople do. They get too stuck on that high level shit. I mean, I want to feel better. Please do explain to me how you feel right now. Right. And that feeling could be the bad breath doesn't make me feel good. It makes me insecure. The fact that the, the aftertaste of the food is making me uncomfortable and I don't like it because it's making me uncomfortable. The I got a date and I don't want to mess up the date. Like all of those make me feel uncomfortable. So right there, there are three different reasons somebody bought, but we're trying to sell at the uncomfortable stage. I will outsell you every time if you're selling to uncomfortable and I'm selling to the fact that you got a date and you haven't been on a date in six weeks and you really like this girl and if you mess this up, you won't see her again. I'm going to win. Right. And you talk in the book about how too many salespeople take this uh, surface reasons or the first answer uh, as gospel, uh, and, and, and continue on from there. Yes, they do. So you say that in every sale, there's a gap. Maybe we should get into that. What is that what you were just explaining or close? So the gap is the, um, the gap is the difference between the current state and the future state. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my future state Okay, so and it's also how we. It's also how. How do I say this? It's also how we decide. Remember, I said in the very beginning, it's all about how we decide, mm-hmm. right? So, when we go to buy something, we we process where we are, and the first step in that is. And, and let me step back. It's about change. So when we decide we want to buy something, we're starting to entertain the idea of change. So what we do is we say, okay, I don't think I like where I am. Like that's the first thing we do. We start to assess our current state. And say, I don't think I like it. And we and we do it consciously or subconsciously, but we process it. And it's like, I'm uncomfortable. This doesn't feel good. I don't like it. I'm missing out, whatever it is. And so it becomes untenable. And so once we determine that we believe that our current state is becoming untenable, we then think about, well, what could we do if we change? What are our options to get out of this untenable situation and get what I really want? And that's the future state. Once we look at the future state, there's a gap between where I am today and where I could be tomorrow. And the bigger that gap is the, the more the more money they'll pay, the more investment they'll make, the more value there is to them. So the gap is the value. Right. So you talk about uh, in the book, um, you know, we all have problems, a bunch of them, but we can't really focus on all of them. And they might be like benign tumors. And the trick is to help someone understand that well, they, they may not even realize it, but they have a, a malignant tumor. And uh, a couple times in the book, you talk about how somebody comes, let's say a customer comes to you and says, I have a headache. And too, I guess too many salespeople say, okay, here's some aspirin. What's, what's, yep. what's, what's, what are they doing wrong there? They're trying to solve for the headache without understanding the impact of the headache, mm-hmm. right? So if, if I, it's a migraine headache and I say, well, you know, it's Sunday and, and, and you can't see and, and uh, you're highly sensitive to noise. You just curl up on the couch and can't get anything done. And then I'm like, All right, well, here, here, look, you want the pain to go away? No. Oh, it hurts really bad. Oh, I know you don't like that. Oh, 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 that sucks to be you. And I sell you the pill for 10 bucks and go away. But if I stop and say, well, wait a minute, what are you single? Or you married? Uh, let's say I'm, I'm married. You got kids? Yeah, I got three kids. Anything, anything do they? Yes. They've got soccer tournaments and we're supposed to have dinner with my with my my parents. 
Oh, so you're going to miss all that? Yes. I said, what about tomorrow? Do you have anything you got to do tomorrow? Yes, I got a proposal that's due. I said, what's the proposal worth? They say $55 million. What's that worth to you? $50,000 commission. So asking all these questions, all of a sudden, it's not the headache. It's the fact that they can't spend time with their kids. They're not going to make it to dinner with their parents, and they're going to lose out on $50,000 in commission. So I could sell, number one, I could sell that pill for a shitload more than 10 bucks. And two, I could get them to buy faster. If, if, if let's say my pill costs $1,000, they're like, I'm not paying $1,000 for it to get rid of my headache. Well, now that I explained the impact of that headache, you will. And you're like, good point. Here's your $1,000. Hurry up. <laughs> right. Right. So another uh, truth bomb, which I think is, uh, I, I think a lot of companies struggle to understand is that all sales are emotional. And too often I hear companies say, no, 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 our, our client, our customers, they're very logical. They're buying for, you know, they're, they all uh, are like uh, Mr. Spock. They're very analytical. They're, they're evaluating all these things. And uh, you lay out pretty clearly that actually all sales are emotional. What are some of the things that people are forgetting about that make for all sales being uh, emotional. I, 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 the first one, obviously, is, is uh, fear of change. Yeah. Uh, you know, look, I'm going to answer this one slightly differently, and then you can ask more questions. So th- they've, done stu- they've done studies on this. Is it, do people buy for logic or do people, for analytical reasons and logic, or they buy over emotion? And what they've determined is that they buy for both. And it's proven. And there was this... They proved it. Well, one of the ways they proved it, it was there was this gentleman who I believe was in a car accident. I can't remember. It was a car accident. I had some 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 issue and it caused him to lose a part of his brain that could tap into the emotional components. Oh, right. right. Yes, I've heard about this. And so the problem was they felt that, I mean, well, I'm, I'm butchering this the the assessment, the editorial, but it, the point is not going to change. The assumption was, well, then this guy should be great at making decisions because the emotional pieces are gone. Right. So you can just weigh everything along the 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 data, right? Mm-hmm. But what happened was it actually made it worse because the data was endless. Like it didn't like there, there was no there was never enough data to get him over the hump. Mm-hmm. So he he even when it came down to brushing his teeth, the data became overwhelming that he actually couldn't make a decision because every piece of data left you with another piece of data, right? Should I brush my, like, which toothpaste should I buy? And I'm butchering this, but well, uh, this one is good for this and this one's good for that. And he did all the data, but okay. And then you get to that conclusion and then there's more data for that conclusion. And then there's more data for that conclusion. He couldn't decide. He literally couldn't even decide to pick up a pencil. And so what we realize is the data gets you to a certain point where the emotion can take over and say, I feel good. I feel good about this and I'm just going to move. So let's talk about two of the most important things in the book, which were current state and future state. And they form a, sort of the cornerstones, help to form the cornerstones of the, the whole gap selling approach. Let's talk about the current state. Explain how much further you need to go in terms of understanding a customer's current state. And I'm particularly keen on hearing you talk about making them realize what their current state is, because they may not even know the problem they're in. They might be the frog that's in in the boiling water and they don't even realize it. Yep. 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 So the the current state, to do that, I break it down into 
four segments. So a salesperson needs to understand first and foremost, the physical and literal environment, right? So it's the non-judgmental stuff. Like, you know, how big is the organization? What are they using today? You know, all, if it's a car, you know, what caused the car, four door, two door, gas mileage, you know, just, just all the physical and literal stuff that you can, because that adds the context, like, like using the pill example, it's, um, are you married? Are you single? Well, the minute I find that out, that changes the environment. If you're single versus married, are you, do you have kids or don't you have kids? Are you 90 years old? Are you, you know, 30 years old? All of those non-judgmental factual elements dictate and set context for the sale. Then you got to understand and find out the problem, the current problem or problems they're dealing with. Then you want to understand the impacts of those problems. And then you want to understand the emotions that are being created by the impacts of those problems. And then you want to understand and know the root cause of, of why the problems exist in the first place, which acts as the conduit to be able to solve them. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, that's, the, that's the level of depth you want from the current state. Right. And you say you should never sell to need. Explain what you mean there. Yes. Look, I, I use a story in the book. People say they need certain things. We're all, I don't even say guilty. We all experience like, oh, I need a new iPhone or I need this or I need that. And the truth of the matter is we don't always know what we need. Rephrase it. What we think we need isn't always what we actually need. And the story I like to tell is back in the day when Palm Pilot days, I had a Palm Pilot and I went on a to a conference and I forgot to bring my charger and it ran out of battery in the, like the first day, like the first, by the morning I woke up to go to the conference it was out of battery and I panicked because I didn't know who to call. I didn't know what my meetings were. I didn't know anything. I was in the dark and I knew I had to be a lot of places. And so I ran down to the Franklin Covey store and I was like, Hey, look, I need a charger. And the guy's like, uh, can I get you anything else? And I'm like, no, man, I just need a charger. Let's go. And he goes, are you sure I can't offer you anything else like a case? And I'm like, dog, I got a case. Let's go. Give me the charger. And he started to ring me up, and it was funny. He, he, I talk about this in the book. He turns and looks at me, and he goes, can I ask you one question? I'm like, oh, for Christ's sake. Yeah, what? And he goes, "Is it? does this run out of battery? Does your palm run out of battery whenever you put it in your pocket or in your briefcase because the case presses down and holds down the buttons until it runs out of battery? And I'm like, yes, that's exactly what happens. And he goes, hold on a second. And he comes back and he has a case that, and he opened it up and has five cutouts where the buttons go. So that can't happen anymore. So he had sold to my perceived need. He would have sold me the wrong thing. Well, he would have sold you the cable maybe to get you charged, but it was going to happen again the very next time. Yep. Damn straight. Yeah. Damn straight. Mm -hmm. So the point is don't sell the need. doesn't mean you don't sell something to somebody if they need it. The point is you don't accept the need you don't start selling to the need the minute they state it to you right more about what figure out why you think they need that yep okay now you go into great detail about the about the current state and really it seems like that is uh pivotal to getting the customer to get away from what is my biggest uh competition and probably that of many salespeople, the status quo yep so Let's talk about the future state. And again, that is not necessarily what they are saying is the future state. How do, how do you start to paint this picture of the future state for them, but also find out what, what the real future state is? It could be very different for two people in the same role who might be buying the same product. Yeah, you, you, the future state is you ask them where they want to go. Like, what are they trying to accomplish, right? What are the objectives? A lot of times you can, like, I just, I just got off a... Um, 
a call a little while ago and I didn't have to ask them, you know, what their future state is or anything like that. I just had to say, okay, what are your corporate objectives? What are you, what, what is your sales team's objectives? Where do you want to take the sales team in the next two to three years? Just by having that conversation, I'm already know what their, their future state is. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then I say, are you on target for that? If they say no. Then now I know they can't even get to the desired future state. Right. So it, it's just understanding where your buyer and buyers want to be in the future, whether that's, you know, in 10 minutes, 10 hours, 10 days, 10 months, 10 years. And in, in relationship to what it is you sell, by the way. Right. So the future, let's put it this way, the future state of of the gum and the person on the date, the future state isn't fresh breath. That's not the future state. The future state is they want to have a, a well, they want to have the confidence that that first date is going to go well and that they're going to have a chance to go on a second date if they so want it, right? Mm-hmm. That's future state. That's what I'm selling. I'm not selling the gum and I'm not even selling the fresh breath. I'm selling the possibility of having a good first date. And then if I'm really, really good, I know how long they've gone without a date and when the last time we went with, went without a good date and if it's like six months now the future state is not only a good date but they're not alone for another six months right. like you, i mean i can keep i can keep building this gap bigger and bigger and making it that much more critical that they buy my gum that is now ten dollars instead of 50 cents <laughs> yeah pretty quickly you're not selling gum exactly it is it, i am not selling that's product centric yeah i am not selling gum i'm selling outcomes yeah. So let's, let's, let's puncture a few other uh, myths here that I think are very, very popular. And you say, in fact, on page 51, you say, okay, people, you've heard it before your whole career. People buy from people they like, I call bullshit. Keenan, why? Look, because we buy for value, man. Like, I, I, it's just, it, in, okay. It Do people really crazy. buy from people they don't like? Yes, yes, every day, every single day. And it all comes down to value. It's driven by the value. So look, um, okay, uh, okay, I don't want to get political on your thing. Let's say, um, um, name someone we all, that is generally accepted as, as, dis, as despise, we despise. Give me someone we think we generally despise. Uh, How about Manson? Charles Manson. I think he died in sure. prison, but let's go Charles Manson. To you young kids who don't know who Manson is, I can't, I'm sorry, just stay with us. Look him up. If Manson were selling you a 2005 Ferrari Enzo for $50,000 in mint condition with only 1,200 miles on it, you're going to buy it from him. I'd probably be able to block out that uh, swastika on his forehead uh, long enough to be able to you know, get the keys from him and, and, and write a check, yeah. Get the hell out of there, right? But the reason is because you know that car is worth several million dollars right now. And so the value of the car far out, far exceeds any likability that you have or don't have for this guy. Mm-hmm. And that's what people and that's why I put this in there. I want people to understand you are much better off to try to drive value and demonstrate value then you are to get someone to like you or not like you. And one of the things I do a lot is I push my clients and I push my prospects and I argue with them and I disagree with them because I don't need you liking me. I need you understanding that I know what your business is about and that I can solve your problems and that a sales guy consulting or gap selling training can deliver for you. And if I'm running around trying to get you to like me, I'm wasting your time and my time. Mm -hmm. And you warm the cockles of my heart when you started uh, quoting, uh, books like uh, Challenger Sale, Challenger Customer, and they, there's extensive research that shows the people that strived most 
to be uh, likable, like you're talking about, actually were some of the lower performers. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. That's just a fact now. Yeah. So one other thing you talked about is um, you said that you know nothing you've discussed at the first part of the book can happen. None of the things in Gap's Telling, in, unless you get this critical and fundamental premise through your head. Your number one job when selling is to get the customer, buyer, or prospect to let you help them. What do you mean there? So if, if I'm not selling a product and I'm selling outcomes and I need to find the gap, then this buyer has to come on the journey with me and give me the information and share their insights and share their challenges and work with me. If they won't, then I can't solve the problem. I'd like it to be in a doctor. You have, if, I'm, I know doctors go through this. They get patients who come in and the patients are really sick or they could be dying or whatever. And the patient won't give them the information, won't let them um, right. you know, take their blood pressure, won't tell them that they you know, that they're living a promiscuous lifestyle, won't tell them they're addicted to drugs, like won't tell them certain things. Mm-hmm. And then the doctor, well, I can't, I can't help you. Like you have to let me help you. And it's the exact same concept in sales. You have got to establish a level of credibility where the buyer is like, all right, you know what? This is, this is beneficial. I, I, I'm going to let, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. I'm going to introduce you to the right people. I'm going to answer your questions. I'm going to tell you our information right? It's, mm-hmm. that's how it is. Yeah. And it was like so many things in the book where you, you explain why, uh, the right way and the wrong way. I can think, you know what, in the past, in my career, I know exactly what he's talking about. Cause I've lived that mistake where I had a, a prospect or a client who, who wasn't letting us help them. And that's why this one line really amongst many resonated with me where you say, every time you have contact with prospects, ask yourself, am I selling to these individuals or are they allowing me to help them? And you go on to say, if you can't get buyers to let you help them, the sale is dead. Yep. Oh, man. That almost hurt. But not as much as the next thing I want to ask you about. And that's, you know, again, back to the, you you say, it's not that you can't sell, it's that you can't diagnose. And I wanted to talk about discovery. And BANT is a common acronym for a lot of B2B salespeople, which stands for budget, authority, need, and timing. And after I read what you wrote, I then envisioned that acronym with a uh, nuclear mushroom cloud up above it, because you pretty much uh, bombed it off the face of the earth. Explain why BANT is now dead. It, It never should have been put in place in the first place, if that made any sense. So look, BANT from a, how do I say this? BANT from an informational perspective, love it. Like eventually they have to have budget or go get budget. Eventually you have to be talking to the authority who can make the decision, authorities who can make the decision, which is usually like five point, well, it's actually 6.8 people now, can make the, the decision. They have to, the timing has to be right. There has to be need. Eventually throughout the whole sales process, that stuff all needs to come together. But mm-hmm. Bant was originally designed as a, qualifying tool that basically said your opportunity your job is to qualify that opportunity across those four elements and so therefore the inverse is they're not qualified if they don't have budget they're not qualified if you're not speaking to authority and i was like bullshit do you know how many times I could be t- um, talking to people who didn't have budget, but they were so blown away with the value that they were like, we'll go get the budget? They'll I find it. The- yeah. Yeah. I say this all the time. It's like, look, I didn't budget. Um, $100,000 for a new car, but if Manson brings me that Ferrari, you damn straight I'm buying. Like, here yeah. you go. 
I didn't budget for it, but I got the money, right? So you don't need to have budget to, to sell. You don't need to have authority. If, if it brings value, the person you talk to will go tell people, and I love this one too. This happens every day. It's called kids. Kids don't have the authority to buy jack shit, but people market to them because they know if the kids love it, they'll go tell their parents and they'll buy it. So Bant is a qualifying thing is a joke. You don't disqualify an, an account because of Bant ever. Yeah. Ever. Well, and it, it's true. It's like uh, it brought to mind the other story. Like, oh, wait a minute. I have a malignant tumor. I think I can find the money to get that removed tomorrow. Yep. Damn straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there were, uh, there were four simple questions you've written in the book, and you've got it a couple times. And just to show you the impact, I've already written it on a card, and it's on my desk. And it's uh, qualifying these prospects. Okay, now this is different from Bant, so I want the the listeners to understand. And the first question is: Does the prospect have a problem you can fix? It seems like there's so many people in sales that are still trying to, you know, per, pursue sales where they're 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 not going to have a happy ending. They're not going to get a referral in the end because it's not what the customer needs. Correct. 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 And the second one is, does the prospect agree they have a problem? I mean, I can see that I, it just brought to mind all these customers sitting here with their arms crossed saying, no, that's that's not really a problem. That's not really a problem for them. Maybe it was because I wasn't being good enough at helping them realize the temperature of the water uh, yep. that they were in. Yep. And then the third one, does the prospect want to fix the problem? Oh, Gosh, you know, you, you want them to fix the problem, but but they might not want to. And, you know, change, you go into great detail about uh, change and how hard that is. And then, like you we talked about just now, the fourth one is, will the prospect go on a journey with you to fix the problem? So, in other words, are they like, yeah, just leave it at the loading dock? No, that's not how it works. <laughs> we need to work with you to get this information and get a good a good solution for you. So, one thing that you talked about is your four favorite words. Your four favorite words, and if you're doing gap selling right in terms of getting their current state, their real current state, their real future state, again, both of those may not be exactly what they're saying, but you're helping them discover it as, as well as yourself. Your four favorite words, and they work beautifully for objections and even uh, price, like you mentioned earlier, it's, I'm confused. You said, dot, dot, dot. Explain, what, explain why those are Keenan's four favorite words. Because... Many, if, if you've done gap selling correctly, you have identified and quantified a real problem and real impacts on that company or on that buyer. And so when it comes time to make the decision and there's inconsistencies in the decision, it's how you get it back on track or it's how you get them out of their own way. So using our cheesy little example of the gum and the date, if someone says, hey, that $10 is pretty expensive, I think it's too expensive, I say, (laughs) I'm confused. You told, or you said, you told me that you haven't had a date in six months. You told me that you're super attracted to this woman. You told me that you just ate garlic and you don't have time to go home and brush your teeth. You told me all this stuff. How is $10 too expensive for you to actually have a great date, not be worried about it, and potentially um, have a second date that could meet, follow up, and, and being your wife? How is that too expensive? Right. I'm confused. You said, yeah, it's great. But you can't use that unless you have 
the information. Exactly. If I'm selling just the gum and I'm like, look, this gum is mint. It'll make your breath taste great for hours and it doesn't get chewy or hard. And I don't freaking know. And and it's got it. They'll go with those. This is great. It's worth ten dollars. Like That's too expensive. But it, it tastes really good and it doesn't get hard in your mouth. You keep saying all you can do is keep reiterating the product, um, the features. Yes, yes. But they just told you, you don't think those features are worth ten dollars, so you're stuck. But <laughs> if I'm like, wait, you ain't buying this gum. You're buying a potential partner, a spouse. You're buying a phenomenal date. Blah blah blah. How is that not worth ten bucks? Well, that sounds like a big gap to me. Yeah, well, to most some people, it is in today's world. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you fat, but you have you have to find the gap between uh, where they currently are and where they really want to go. Last thing I want to ask about the book is about uh, a topic that is very important, and that's prospecting. And I was thrilled to see uh, you mentioned and recommended uh, Jeb Blunt's fanatical prospecting and uh, Mark Hunter's book uh, High Profit Prospecting. They've both been guests on the show, and. You say that most companies and salespeople suck at prospecting. Why, why do you think that is? Oh, my gosh. It's because they start – again, it's all a common theme. They start out with, with their own perception of their product, and they start spewing – I mean, go to LinkedIn. I don't know how many LinkedIn requests you get, but you get a LinkedIn connection request. and like, hey – I'm John, and we have XYZ product that will, you know, make unicorns fly in your backyard and make dolls grow on trees, and it does it all without ruining the soil. If you'd like to talk about it, call me. It's like, come on, man. Like, you don't, you're not, if you're not trying to find a problem and you're just spewing off these, these um, features and benefits in an email or features and benefits in a, in a, in a cold call, you're not going to get anybody's attention. Right. Just on trying to find the problem that you can solve, and once they admit you have a, they have a problem you that you can solve, then game on. Like yes, right. Have, you know yes, yes. That's now the way they're prospecting you though, that is it's really really important. And the last thing I want to mention is, you say prospecting is about figuring out what you can do to trigger your buyer's oh shit circuit, so they notice you amidst the solid wall of other salespeople waving frantically to get their attention. So all these people, I, I, Brent Adamson, I'm, I've heard him say, you know, there's this discovery fatigue. No, I don't want to sit there and waste time talking to you, telling you about all my problems. You need to come to me and tell me what what my problems are or how that's going to help me. Yeah, so so it's about intrigue, right? And what you talked about there, intrigue is is the oh shit circuit is a real thing. It's your ACC and uh, anterior cingular cortex, if I think I got that right. And basically what it does is it's the part of your, your brain that recognizes pattern disruption. So, you know, like I, in my office, I actually have a walkway and people walk by all the time and 99% of the time I don't notice them, but every once in a while I'll look and that's, they've either walked in, too close to the door or they've stopped And my mind says, wait, that's not accurate. And it breaks my pattern to look. Right. So when we get emails or cold calls, whatever, from people that are all the same, we just treat them the same and dump them. But from a prospecting perspective, if you're able to trigger their ACC or their oh shit, they're like, oh, that's different. That's that breaks the, the pattern that I'm used to. Then they'll stop and read it. Then they'll stop and engage with it. But you got to figure out how to break that pattern. 
Yeah, and there's lots of great information in there about how to do it right, and, and you even show how it's being done wrong. And then you, f- you got an email from somebody, and then you fixed it for them in the book to say this is how you, you should be doing. So, Keenan, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Be problem-centric. Train your mind to be a problem finder, not a product teller. Excellent. The name of the book is Gap Selling, Getting the Customer to Yes, How Problem-Centric Selling Increases Sales by Changing Everything You Know About Relationships, Overcoming Objections, Closing, and Price. The author is Keenan. Keenan, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, baby. I enjoyed it. Good stuff. And that closes the book on episode 231 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan, visit Blinkist.com slash marketingbookpodcast or just click on the link at marketingbookpodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Randy Frisch to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Fuck Content Marketing. Focus on content experience to drive demand, revenue, and relationships. And yes, Just like at the beginning of this episode, we will start with a listener advisory. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Amanda Harrison. All right, brother. Thanks. Be good. Bye-bye. Peace.